0: chapter 2 part 1 of the betrothed this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox.org the betrothed by alessandro mansoni chapter 2 part 1 it is related that the prince condé slept soundly the night before the battle of rocroy but in the first place he was very tired and secondly he had given all needful previous orders, and arranged what was to be done on the morrow. Don on the other hand, as yet knew nothing, except that the morrow would be a day of battle. Hence great part of the night was spent by him in anxious and harassing deliberations. To take no notice of the lawless intimation, and proceed with the marriage, was a plan on which he would not even expend a thought to confide the occurrence to Renzo and seek with him some means, he dreaded the thought. He must not let a word escape, otherwise, ahem! Thus one of the Bravos had spoken, and the re-echoing of this ahem. Donabondio, far from thinking of transgressing such a law, began to repent of having revealed it to Perpetua. Must he fly, Whither? and then how many annoyances, how many reasons to give. As he rejected plan after plan, the unfortunate man tossed from side to side in bed. The course which seemed best to him was to gain time by imposing on Renzo. He opportunely remembered that it wanted only a few days of the time when weddings were prohibited. And if I can only put him off for these few days, I have then two months before me and in two months great things may be done. He ruminated over various pretexts to bring into play, and though they appeared to him rather slight, yet he reassured himself with the thought that his authority added to them would make them appear of sufficient weight, and then his practiced experience would give him great advantage over an ignorant youth. Let us see, he said to himself. He thinks of his love, but I of my life. I am more interested than he. Beside that, I am cleverer. My dear child, if you feel your back smarting, I know not what to say, but I will not put my foot in it. His mind being thus a little settled to deliberation, he was able at last to close his eyes. But what sleep? What dreams? Bravos, Don Rodrigo, Renzo, pathways, rocks, flight, chase, cries, muskets the moment of first awakening after a misfortune while still in perplexity is a bitter one the mind scarcely restored to consciousness returns to the habitual idea of former tranquillity but the thought of the new state of things soon presents itself with rude abruptness and our misfortune is most trying in this moment of contrast dolefully donabondio tasted the bitterness of this moment and then began hastily to recapitulate the designs of the night confirmed himself in them, arranged them anew, arose, and waited for Renzo at once with fear and impatience. Lorenzo, or as every one called him, Renzo, did not keep him long waiting. Scarcely had the hour arrived at which he thought he could with propriety present himself to the curate, when he set off with a light step of a man of twenty, who was on that day to espouse her whom he loved." He had in early youth been deprived of his parents, and carried on the trade of silk-weaver, hereditary, so they say, in his family, a trade lucrative enough in former years, but even then beginning to decline, yet not to such a degree that a clever workman was not able to make an honest livelihood by it. Work became more scarce from day to day, but the continual emigration of the workmen attracted to the neighbouring states by promises, privileges, and large wages, left sufficient occupation for those who remained in the country. Renzo possessed, besides, a plot of land which he cultivated, working in it himself when he was disengaged from his silk-weaving, so that in his station he might be called a rich man. Although this year was one of greater scarcity than those which had preceded it, and real want began to be felt already, Yet he, having become a saver of money ever since he had cast his eyes upon Lucia, found himself sufficiently furnished with provisions, and had no need to beg his bread. He appeared before Donabondio in gay bridal costume, with feathers of various colours in his cap, with an ornamental hilted dagger in his pocket, and with an air of festivity, and at the same time of defiance, common at that time even to men the most quiet. The hesitating and mysterious reception of Dona Bondio formed a strange contrast with the joyous and resolute bearing of the young. "'He must have got some notion in his head,' thought Renzo to himself, and then said, "'I have come, Signor Curate, to know at what hour it will suit you for us to be at church.' "'What day are you speaking of?' "'How, of what day? Don't you remember, sir, that this is the day fixed upon?' "'Today?' replied Don as if he now heard it spoken of for the first time. "'Today, today! Don't be impatient, but today I cannot.' "'Today you cannot! What has happened, sir?' First of all, I do not feel well, you see.' "'I am very sorry, but what you have to do, sir, is so soon done, and so little fatiguing. "'And then, and then, and then—' "'And then what, Signor Curate?' And then there are difficulties. Difficulties? What difficulties can there be? You need to stand in our shoes to understand what perplexities we have in these matters, what reasons to give. I am too soft-hearted. I think of nothing but how to remove obstacles and make all easy and arrange things to please others. I neglect my duty, and then I am subject to reproofs and worse. "'But in heaven's name don't keep me so on the stretch. "'Tell me at once what is the matter. "'Do you know how many, many formalities "'are necessary to perform a marriage regularly?' "'I ought to know a little about it,' said Renzo, beginning to be warm. "'For you, sir, have puzzled my head enough about it the last few days back. "'But now is not everything made clear? "'Is not everything done that had to be done?' "'All, all on your part,' Therefore have patience, and as I am to neglect my duty that I may not give pain to people. We poor curates are between the anvil and the hammer. You are impatient. I am sorry for you, poor young man, and the great people. Enough, one must not say everything, and we have to go between. But explain to me at once, sir, what this new formality is, which has to be gone through as you say, and and it shall be done soon.' Do you know what the number of absolute impediments is? What would you have me know about impediments, sir? Error condito, votum, cognatio, crimen, cultus disparitas, vis, ordo, sicita finis. Are you making game of me, sir? What do you expect me to know about your Latinorum? Then, if you don't understand things, have patience and leave them to those who do. Or Sue quiet my dear renzo don't get in a passion for i am ready to do all that depends on me i i wish to see you satisfied i wish you well alas when i think how well off you were what were you wanting the whim of getting married came upon you what talk is this senor mio interrupted renzo with a voice between astonishment and anger have patience i tell you i wish to see you satisfied In short. In short, my son, it is no fault of mine. I did not make the law, and before concluding a marriage, it is our special duty to certify ourselves that there is no impediment. But come, tell me once for all what impediment has come in the way. Have patience, they are not things to be deciphered thus at a standing. It will be nothing to us, I hope, but, be the consequence great or little, we must make these researches. THE TEXT IS CLEAR AND EVIDENT. Antiquum MATRIMONIUM DE Nuneset. I HAVE TOLD YOU, SIR, I WILL HAVE NO LATIN. BUT IT IS NECESSARY THAT I SHOULD EXPLAIN TO YOU. BUT HAVE YOU NOT MADE ALL THESE RESEARCHES? I TELL YOU, I HAVE NOT MADE THEM ALL AS I MUST. WHY DID YOU NOT DO IT IN TIME, SIR? WHY DID YOU TELL ME THAT ALL WAS FINISHED? WHY WAIT? LOOK NOW, YOU ARE FINDING FAULT WITH MY OVERKINDNESS. I have facilitated everything to serve you without loss of time, but but now I have received enough, I know. And what do you wish me to do, sir? To have patience for a few days. My dear son, a few days are not eternity. Have patience. For how long? We are in good train now, thought Dona Bondio to himself, and added with a more polite manner than ever, Come now, in fifteen days I will endeavour to do... Fifteen days? This indeed is something new. You have had everything your own way, sir. You fixed the day. The day arrives. And now you go tell me I must wait fifteen days. Fifteen... He began again, with a louder and more angry voice, extending his arm and striking the air with his fist. And nobody knows what shocking words he would have added to this number fifteen, if Donabondio had not interrupted him, taking his other hand with a timid and anxious friendliness. Come, come, don't be angry, for heaven's sake. I will see, I will try, whether in one week. And Lucia, what must I say to her? That it has been an oversight of mine. And what will the world say? Tell them, too, that I have made a blunder through overhaste, through too much good nature." lay all the fault on me. Can I say more? Come now, for one week. And then will there be no more impediments? When I tell you, very well, I will be quiet for a week, but I know well enough that when it is past I shall get nothing but talk, but before that I shall see you again. Having so said, he retired, making a bow much less lowly than usual to Dona Bondio, and bestowing on him a glance more expressive than reverent. Having reached the road, and walking with heavy heart towards the home of his betrothed, in the midst of his wrath, he turned his thoughts on the late conversation, and more and more strange it seemed to him. The cold and constrained greeting of Dona Bondio, his guarded and yet impatient words, his grey eyes, which, as he spoke, glanced inquisitively here and there, as if afraid of coming in contact with the words which issued from his mouth, the making a new thing, as it were, of the nuptials so expressly determined, and, above all, the constant hinting at some great occurrence, without ever saying anything decided. All these things put together made Renzo think that there was some overhanging mystery, different from that which Dona Bondio would have had him suppose." The youth was just on the point of turning back to oblige him to speak more plainly, but raising his eyes, he saw Perpetua a little way before him, entering a garden a few paces distant from the house. He gave her a call to open the garden door for him, quickened his pace, came up with her, detained her in the doorway, and stood still to have a conversation with her, intending to discover something more positive. "'Good morning, Perpetua,' I HOPED WE SHOULD HAVE BEEN MARRIED TODAY altogether. BUT, AS HEAVEN WILLS, MY POOR RENZO, I WANT YOU TO DO ME A KINDNESS. THE SENIOR CURATE HAS BEEN MAKING A LONG STORY OF CERTAIN REASONS WHICH I CANNOT UNDERSTAND. WILL YOU EXPLAIN TO ME BETTER WHY HE CANNOT OR WILL NOT MARRY US TODAY? OH, IS IT LIKELY I KNOW MY MASTER'S SECRETS? I SAID THERE WAS SOME HIDDEN MYSTERY, THOUGHT RENZO, AND TO DRAW IT FORTH TO THE LIGHT, HE CONTINUED. COME, PERPETUA, WE ARE FRIENDS. TELL ME WHAT YOU KNOW. HELP AN UNFORTUNATE YOUTH. IT IS A BAD THING TO BE BORN POOR, MY DEAR RENZO. THAT IS TRUE, REPLIED HE, STILL CONFIRMING HIMSELF IN HIS SUSPICIONS, AND SEEKING TO COME NEARER THE QUESTION. THAT IS TRUE, BUT IS IT FOR A PRIEST TO DEAL HARDLY WITH THE POOR? LISTEN, RENZO, I CAN TELL YOU NOTHING because I know nothing, but what you may assure yourself of is that my master does not wish to ill-treat you or anybody, and it is not his fault. Whose fault is it, then? demanded Renzo, with an air of indifference, but with an anxious heart and ears on the alert. When I tell you I know nothing, in defense of my master I can speak, because I can't bear to hear that he is ready to do ill to anyone. Poor man! If he does wrong, it is from too good nature. There certainly are some wretches in the world, overbearing tyrants, men without the fear of God. Tyrants, wretches, thought Renzo. Are not these the great men? Come, said he, with difficulty hiding his increasing agitation. Come, tell me who it is. Oh, oh, you want to make me speak, and I cannot speak because I know nothing. When I know nothing, it is the same as if I had taken an oath not to tell. You might put me to the rack, and you would get nothing from my mouth. Good-bye, it is lost time for you and me both. So saying, she quickly entered the garden and shut the door. Renzo, having returned her farewell, turned back with a quiet step that she might not hear which way he took. But when he got beyond reach of the good woman's ears, he quickened his pace, in a moment he was at donabondio's door entered went straight to the room in which he had left him found him there and went towards him with a reckless bearing and eyes glancing anger chapter two part one